Welcome to Two Brothers Review, the podcast. I'm Reed Turley. And I'm Ty Turley. This week we're going to be talking about Sicario, Day of the Soldado. Uh, but before we get into that movie, we wanted to give our recommendation, our favorite cartel-related movie. Ty, what is yours? I'm cheating a little bit, but I'm going with Narcos on Netflix, season one and two. The, that was incredible. That changed the way... Well, I just really wanted to write a story like that when I watched it, in a way that doesn't usually happen. I was like, oh man, they found a great character, and it, it just was so good, episode to episode. Yeah, those are ones that you just really want to watch the next one as soon as the episode finishes. It just kept me really drawn in. Yeah. And, well, it's just nuts with the... Both sides, really, are nuts. The the depravity of uh, of doing anything to make money. I mean, I think that's a big theme in the Sicario movies, too. I just can't... I can't really imagine that. Caring that much about money. Especially the, the um, volumes of money they're talking about. It's billions of dollars, right? I think, like... They're weighing it rather than counting it because they they just don't have enough time to count all the money. Yeah, yeah. It, how does a human being get to the point where that extra million is worth killing another family? I don't know. Okay, that's a good that's a good recommend or genre pick. For me, I'm gonna say Clear and Present Danger with Harrison Ford. Uh, I think. That does a great job showing sort of the both sides of the you know interaction with the cartel, where the U.S. government is trying to undermine the cartel in in Colombia. But I think my favorite scene in that movie is when they're recruiting the sniper from the Marines, and they're doing an exercise in the desert, and they're trying to find the sniper as he's approaching. And at one point they think they've got him, but it's a McDonald's wrapper. And then he pops up like 15 feet from the spotting car. Oh gosh, I love that scene. <laughs> isn't, it, isn't that when they're also like, the chicken is in the pot. <laughs> Cook it. Yeah. I love that line so much. Uh, actually, this this movie, The Soldado... There's a scene that really reminded me of the Clear and Present Danger scene. My favorite scene in Clear and Present Danger is when they're in the cars in the convoy and they get stuck in the they get blocked in the on the city street and attacked. Yeah. I love that scene. And there's a, there's a the point where the convoy is coming in um actually it's not in Dave Soldado. It's in it's in the Sicario, the first one. They have a it's a very similar feeling. I wondered if that was a reference that was intentional for them. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think I also could have said Sicario, the first one. I love I loved the first Sicario. Um, and to sort of transition into Sicario 2, I'm probably not going to say Day of the Soldado every time. <laughs> <laughs> but your Spanish accent on Soldado is so good. <laughs> ah, well, been practicing. Uh, I was very excited for this movie <laughs> to come out. Um, I... Went on Thursday night. I'll probably see it again. I, I at your I own know. expense. I uh, yes, I will pay for it to see it a second time. Or you'll go to the movie theater and buy a ticket for that diary movie that's out right now, and then go to this one instead. 
I'm too scared that they would catch me. Uh, that's what I love about you, Reed. <laughs> I don't want to get banned from Cinemarks everywhere. <laughs> There's a picture of you on the on the wall of every ticket office and every Cinemark. <laughs> Watch out for this guy. <laughs> okay, so you. I also was very excited. I think Sicario is in my top ten favorite movies ever. And I almost never do this, but I watched it before I saw Sicario 2 because I wanted to remember it for sure. And I loved it so much the second time. I mean, it's just, it's the best. Yeah, and I think, you know, carrying it into the second movie, the characters feel consistent, right? You know, Benicio Del Toro and Josh Brolin's characters, I don't feel like there's a big change from the first movie to the second movie which sometimes I think can happen in a sequel where they're trying to, you know, flesh out a character. But I, I just feel like they seem consistent between the two stories. Mm, I think I think Benicio Del Toro's did. I thought he was consistent. Somewhat, although he, he gets a soft spot all of a sudden and doesn't want to kill the girl, which is a little bit inconsistent. I didn't, I mean, I think he sells it in this second one, but... I, I kind of wish that that hadn't been his choice to be more consistent with his character. Because he does straight murder that family in the first movie at the end. Yeah. yeah he's, and, and he's driven by revenge. And he hates her father. And yeah, he, he I think he's... I think to be consistent with the first movie, there would be the feeling like he's owed something. Um, the, the Reyes character that we never meet... Um, deserves it. Anyway, but that's one. But I, I think Josh Brolin's character was actually even less consistent. Because in the first one, he's super chill and super... Like, he never says more than he needs to. And I feel like that really changed in the second one, where he was very verbal, very explicit about things, kind of over-explaining things, which goes to a bigger point. That there's just so much more exposition in the second one, in the second film, than in the first, and mm-hmm. I think I think he t- he was a big part of that. I mean, his character had to do things that I feel like his character in the first movie would not have done. You didn't you didn't feel that way? No, I guess I I didn't really. I feel like hmm. you just spend more time with him, and in different scenarios, right? Like he's with the Secretary of Defense or leading more of the missions and having to, you know, give guidance to people. Uh, I'm not sure. I I did not rewatch Sicario. It's it's probably been a year since I saw it, so maybe it's just what I remember. Yeah. I mean, he's so reluctant in Sicario to ever answer any questions, but you're right. He, we see him always with um people who have less power than him in the first Sicario and we see him often with people who have more power than him in the second one. So maybe that just explains it, and he's consistent. Yeah. Do you feel like not having an Emily Blunt or some other, you know, cipher for the viewers affected how this movie was structured or put together? Or, you know, may Benicio Del Toro and Josh Brolin have to take a a larger role? Yeah, I mean... I thought the first one was so good because of her. Well, because of a lot of things, but she, her character was great in the first one, and her frustration, and 
she is kind of a moral compass um, or proxy for the viewer to understand how you should react against something like what they were doing. And yeah, it's missing it. I, maybe he thought, maybe Taylor Sheridan, the writer, th- felt like he didn't want to just repeat the exact same movie, so he didn't put in a character like that again. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I mean, yeah, let's, I guess let's talk through a couple of the scenes. Uh, is there one that was your favorite from the movie? Mm, I had a, uh, let me think. I mean, I, I really like the scene where they meet the deaf parents in the desert. I loved that. I thought it was so good. Yeah. What yeah. did you love? What did you love about it? I think it was just very unexpected. Uh, I don't know. It just, it just made me feel like bad for this farmer. Like what a kind of rough life they live. Um, I don't know. I thought it was, I thought it was really kind of well structured. And I think that's sort of the turning point where he has to remember his daughter and then choose not to kill, you know, the kill the girl in this movie. Yeah. I think it's that. I think that's how it's used, as well. Um, I like the scene. I mean, I like the. <laughs> I liked Benicio del Toro's American accent when he first um, talks to the kidnapped girl. I thought that was hilarious. As a DEA agent, just looking very casual. Yeah, didn't it, didn't it feel like he was kind of playing up this like American twang in his voice? Yeah, definitely. I thought that was really funny, and um, I, I like seeing how he did transition with her. I mean, he had to—he went from deceiving her and having her be a target to being like you, like we just said. He switches, and be, um, she be, ends up appreciating him. I think by the end. Yeah, I mean, I also think the moment when you know they they come back to him after he's been shot in the desert. And it's a long shot before anything happens. Uh, but then you just see his body jerk. And as soon as he gets the rag off of his face, the, the t-shirt, there's just like, I don't know, I think there's a scene where it's like a strand of blood is dripping from his mouth. I thought it was, I thought it was well put together, that kind of sequence. You, I don't think you liked it as much. Is that true? No, it's not that I didn't like it. I just, the blood makes me sick uh, to remember it. Uh, I mean, I yeah. Yeah, I, did you think he had survived when that bullet wound went in his cheek instead of his head? I guess when the shot happened, I didn't realize it was his cheek and not his head. Oh, really? So I, I assumed he was dead. I was like, that's a little low for a kill shot. But I thought... I, I thought <laughs> what? It was. Okay, I just didn't know you had experience with kill shots. With kill shots, um, I've seen it. I've seen enough movies. Okay, uh, but I was gonna say something else. Oh yeah, which is I really wanted teeth to get spit out with that blood. I wanted to see teeth come out. Yeah, and they didn't, which is fine. But I, I kept waiting for that. Uh, I mean, I thought that was a good scene where the I like the from the sequence from when he shows up pretending to want uh, to be a normal guy. And the kid recognizes him and tells the bosses, and and they slowly pull and they pull the guns on him unexpectedly in the bus, and I, I like that scene a lot too. Yeah, 
his plan was not to get recognized, right? He was going to try to get picked up crossing the border. Yeah, totally. Okay. Yeah. He he that was unexpected that that little kid was there. So why put the tracker in the girl's shoe? Mm, I think cuz he knows if something goes wrong, she's the most important for them to find. They'll they will do anything to protect her because they don't want her to fall in the wrong hands because she can talk and testify or or she was a witness to what they did. Okay. Like she I think he just knew that I think also, I mean, I, I, yeah, it's, it's not exactly clear, which I think is a cool thing about the movie. But I, I think uh, Benicio's character assumed Josh Brolin's character would not kill her. I think he kind of trusted him to not do okay. that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that conversation they have on the phone where it's just like, you got to do what you got to do. I thought was effective, right? Like both these characters, you can tell care about each other even if Josh Brolin developed Benicio as an asset at first I feel like they did develop a relationship yeah oh totally but that I mean that's why that's why that conversation on the phone was so devastating I mean I thought that was a key one of the strongest emotional points in the movie for me of um because he's essentially saying I'm gonna kill you right and you and the girl yeah and also, I mean, I don't know if you think this is true, but my feeling at the end of the movie was, you know, the the tag that's in there with with him showing up at the mall and and saying, so you want to be a Sicario to the guy that shoots him. That's, I think that if they're going to do a Sicario 3, which I would think they probably are, it's going to be Benicio's character trying to get revenge on uh, Josh Brolin's character. Do you think that's crazy? Uh, I would guess he'd go above Josh Brolin to the other people who made those decisions. But then maybe Josh Brolin will get tasked with stopping Benicio. Yeah. Which is a bummer, because I don't really want to see those two fight. Right. But but I felt like at the end he was he was bringing... That, the whole point of recruiting that kid to his cause was to start a fight. You don't think he would still go after the cartel leader, Reyes? I mean, he still hasn't really gotten revenge for his family. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that's like, that, for me, that's the question of who is it aimed at? I, it seems maybe far more far-fetched to me that he would go after Brolin uh, because they are, I think they are really established as good friends. But I also feel like he probably felt double-crossed by him or maybe not double-crossed, but like... Abandoned. Abandoned, like like he thinks Brolin's character should have stood up for what was right, and he didn't. But Brolin did save the girl in the end. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I th- I think there's just a lot of ambiguity of how much the, they trusted each other, how much do they trust each other, and how much was that trust rewarded? It's unclear to me. Okay. Uh, I guess I also want to talk about the two scenes that happened on the road. So. That moment where the Federale police officer with the machine gun starts to rotate backwards. It's just like, oh, you know this is not going to be good. And it's Josh Brolin's on the radio, like, thinking an attack is going to be coming from somewhere else. He's so surprised no one's approaching them. And you just see that machine gunner turn around and start blasting the Humvee. Oh, I thought that was such a good lead into that to that fight. I, that's so interesting, because... 
I when I was watching it, I thought at first when he when that machine gunner turned around, I thought, oh, this is all staged. They made a deal with the with the federal police. This was the plan. They're gonna fake like the police attacked them for the benefit of the girl again, and somehow that was gonna maybe justify them keeping the girl longer. That's what I kind of thought. So at the, when this when the attack started, I was like, "Whoa, cool plan, dude! This is interesting." <laughs> <laughs> but then, but then I think halfway through, I was like, "Nope, that was not the plan." <laughs> yeah, and then. The scene of the helicopter coming down onto the road right in front of the expedition and just how low it was. I mean, I love that low shot of the helicopter flying over the desert. I think it's so pretty. Uh, I thought that was that was good, too. And just so how they're so, like, clinical and efficient when they're fighting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the I feel like the first Sicario was famous for those helicopter shots and those desert shots, and they were fewer, more, fewer, fewer of them, uh, in this uh, second movie. But I also love them, and it makes me nostalgic for the desert. <laughs> yeah. Of Afghanistan. Oh, well, you do have a passport, so you could be a coyote. <laughs> I I could be a coyote. Man, it was easy. You just walk across a river? Is it really that easy? I don't know. I don't let's hope Trump doesn't see this one. Right. No, I, that I okay, I walked out of here with thinking this movie's going to this movie is exactly in line with Trump supporters view of the world and it's going to reinforce the idea that Mexicans are awful. Did you think that? Yeah, I mean they didn't they just there wasn't really a humanized or I don't know. You just you only spend time with Mexicans who are involved in the cartel. You know, there's no side story of another group, or I guess just the farmer is the only family that you see that's not involved in that crime world. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know what it said. I, I I had a moment where I was like, wait, I love these films, but they also are kind of a right wing. You know, militia. What are those called? Those like militias that you make up yourself. It's like their, um, it's their view of the world, and it's how they justify a lot of their policies and actions. Yeah, I, don't know. I I'm just trying to separate it as entertainment and not worry too much about the comment on the world view. <laughs> okay. <laughs> For me, I don't know. It's it's too hard. Yeah, okay, that's fair. But but it's not made in a vacuum, so we, we don't have yeah. to address it. Okay. I mean, we've talked a little bit about um, Benicio and Josh Brolin. D- do you feel like they were effective as characters in this movie? Yeah, I mean, for me, that if yeah, the movie is totally dependent on them as characters, and they did great. I mean, I loved watching them. Yeah, I think the introduction to Brolin in Somalia, where it's the low angle shot of his Crocs as he's walking into the interrogation room, was it just like kind of sets hit the tone for his character, right? Like really casual, just kind of doing his thing, but then ruthless also with the the pirate that he's inter- interrogating. 
Yeah. Do you remember in the first one he's wearing flip-flops at the FBI headquarters? I do remember, yeah. They got a footwear thing for him. <laughs> That's an easy way to display someone's sort of s- sense of style, I guess. Yeah. The, I feel... Okay, so my main complaint with this movie is that in the first one... The first one was so good because you're confused who's who's on whose side every, all the way through until whatever, I don't know, two-thirds of the way through or something, right? And and it's confusing, and who is Benicio Del Toro's character loyal to, and why are they doing it? Why are they doing what they're doing? It seems like Emily Blunt's signaling that it's not good, but we don't know exactly know why for a while, or I didn't at least. Um, and in this one, it starts out with this very, oh, what's the word? A very clunky exposition where it's like okay we have these terrorists coming over the cartel's helping them get across the border therefore we have to uh fight the cartel and the way we're going to fight them is starting a war between them all that stuff it was that was left out of the first movie it they they and you kind of like you get to it eventually through watching and I, I was so surprised that this one was so exposition-heavy at front um, and had that weird Muslim terrorist add-on angle because that really didn't matter. I mean, that that never came up after the first, whatever, 15 minutes of the movie. And in the end, they're like, the rest of those bombers were from New Jersey. Like, I don't know, it was just a way to start the story, but I don't think what they were interested in telling. yeah. It does establish, like you just said, that Josh Brolin's character was working as a CIA interrogator in Africa. But I don't know. I just thought I, – I, when, when it started like that, I was like, wait, are you serious? There's a point where Josh Brolin's character is like standing in a control room and he says something like, all right, tell me again what we're doing. Do you remember that? It's like – it's just such a bad way of writing. It's It's setting it up where – okay, this is the exposition and we're going to give it to you with this awkward question that in reality, everyone in the room would know. You wouldn't, he wouldn't need to say it again right there. Yeah. And, and the first one was so good because it never did that. In my That's opinion. true. I mean, I think I also had a problem with the, the bombing sequence in the store in Kansas city where the bad get- visual effects. Well, I mean, it's fine that they just go in and blow up, but the mom and the very scared daughter slowly walking towards the bomber trying to get out, it just seemed gratuitous almost to not just, you know, show the bombing and then be done with that scene. Like, I didn't think that was necessary. You know, you see people in the background with the, you know, limbs blown off. Like, why would the mom try to get out the door walking toward the bomber? Wouldn't you go away from them as fast as you could? Uh, I mean, there's already been three or four bombs. You don't know how many more they're going to be. You, I don't know. It made sense to me. But I think you're right. It's it's super... It's just extreme. <laughs> you, you, you establish... The purpose of that sequence is established without that added detail of depravity. And there was already a bomber in that coyote group when they were crossing the border. I mean, they've already established that Muslim, a Muslim bomber had come from the Coyotes. Yeah. Trust me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, exactly. I think you could cut off the first 15 minutes of this movie, and it would be a significantly better movie in my mind. 
Yeah, yeah. I think just get into it with the characters, sort of in the middle of the action. Just start. Because you don't. It's not like. I mean, it's cool to figure out over time the nuances of the cartels, but it's not like you need to persuade the audience that the U.S. government is trying to fight Mexican drug cartels. We don't. We don't need a reason for that. We just. We. Everyone would be like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. I, we probably are fighting them for. And there's ebbs and there's there's ebbs and flows in the war and that we're having with these uh, cartels and they're starting a new initiative. It doesn't need all this weird motivation. Yeah. Well, and this, I mean, this one really. I mean, the first movie was talking about, or they're you know go down that tunnel where they were bringing drugs in, but I think Tyler Sheridan must just feel pretty strongly about the human trafficking af- aspect of what's going on with the cartels. To like, you know, have Josh Brolin say, "What's the most valuable commodity coming across the border?" And it's like it's people, and then that's who that's who you deal with as the, you know, that kid that's getting recruited is going to work to bring people across the border. It just is sort of a change in focus from drugs to this other activity the cartels are doing on the border now. Yeah. Yes. Okay, but I would say. I would say the the first one was so successful because not because it was about drugs. I mean it wasn't about drugs. That's the whole point. It's about Benicio del Toro's character under the guise of this operation that you think is about drugs goes back and gets revenge for something that happened to his own family in a very personal way. And the fact that his personal, you know, personal um mission or personal fight that he was taking to the cartel was seen by Emily Blunt's character that led to this huge uh, ethical or moral tension in the film and all that stuff. So again, it's that personal, the torment of Emily Blunt's character deciding to sign the paper that releases them uh, and the torment of Benicio del Toro's character of, you know, having to live with the consequence or the, the regret of knowing that his wife and daughter were killed that way. That's the interesting thing, and that's the thing that makes it such a great movie. And this, I feel like, the second one just, I think you're right, focused on the human trafficking, but again, that's not the thing that makes a great movie. Yeah. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Yeah, I guess. Okay. Well, I just think, yeah, I think Tyler Sheridan wanted to use that as the in for this story rather than drugs again. I mean, I think he, he must be interested in human trafficking is what I'm trying to say. He, yeah, he must be, but I also think, yeah, he wrote a worse movie. Maybe, maybe because he was focused on that interest in human trafficking. I don't know. Like for example, uh, that the kid who shoots Benicio's character and ends up all tattooed up in the last scene. Um, Super interesting kid. He never really. Well, I mean, I guess he the the one choice he has is to shoot Benicio or not. But not after he saw that other guy get killed. Right. It, it just that, that feels, was not a that was not a choice at that point. Yeah, and you don't see you don't see the consequences of it really. You see him hop out of the truck, which felt, to me felt more like a that was a necessary choice for him to do for the plot and for the you know, the potential for a third episode. 
and less a, a sensical choice. Because why in the world would he jump out of the back of the truck in the middle of the desert? That cartel would have killed him if they would have made it home. I just don't think you can get out of a cartel that way. I don't know. I don't think it would have gone well for him if those guys had survived the trip Wait, home. Why? Which cartel would have killed him? The Reyes? The, no, the, the, all the guys in that truck that he jumped out of. Yeah. I think that cartel leader would have been really upset that he jumped out if he knew that. And they would have have killed that kid. I don't think you... Wait, cartel? By cartel, you mean the... the His gang. He's running the the border crossing service. Yeah. You think he would have killed everyone in the back of the truck that they let the little kid get away? No, no, no. I think they would have killed that kid who jumped out of the truck. Because they they don't want people... As soon as they realized... As soon as the leader of that human trafficking group realized the kid who shot Benicio Del Toro jumped out of the truck, he would have been upset with the kid who jumped out and would have said, hunt him down and let's kill him. He's he's not a good soldier. Okay, so so that's another reason for why you think it's crazy that he would have jumped out. Right. Because he would know that that is a consequence. You can't get out. You can't get out at that point. Yeah, yeah. But also, he didn't want to get out. He doubled down. And we don't see why he doubled down. By doubled down, I mean a year later he's all tattooed up and like heavy. Uh, you know, the implication is he's heavy kind of a into, punk. heavy into human trafficking and the drug trade or whatever. He's he hasn't repented. He's still going to that uh, that guy at the mall to make the or to get his payments. You know, so it's like so if what you're saying is, well, was he trying to leave when he jumped out of the truck? Who knows. <laughs> But I'm, I would guess sort of that psychological trauma of killing someone also affected him being able to get out, right? Like, it would be pretty hard to go back to a normal life if you think you murdered somebody. Yeah. So maybe he felt like he didn't have any other options. And that's why he, you know, goes deeper into the, the drug cartel world. The, yeah. I mean, I think that's true and plausible, but that doesn't explain why he jumped out of the truck. Well, he had to live. He couldn't die. He had to live. That's the only reason. <laughs> he had to live. Which, so what I guess my point is, he could have been an interesting character who goes through... We see more of his regret. We see more of how he presents himself to his parents and how he justifies to himself why he's doing what he's doing when he realizes, oh, this isn't just walking across the border with people. This is, I have to kill people in this job. Yeah. I mean, I think they just... Decided he wasn't the focus. The girl who was kidnapped was pretty interesting, too, I thought, by the end. I mean, I, I, just how she... She starts out as a super brat at school, uh, gets terrorized by the fear of who kidnapped her and scared and being held in that house, realizes there's something up, um, witnesses these awful things, kind of has a moment of realizing her father's not innocent, I mean, she had a she had a more interesting journey, I think, uh, but it was very internalized, and it didn't. Like, if I was writing it, if I was rewriting this film, I would have had her internal journey of making this realization matter for the action in some way. I would externalize it somehow, where she actively helped Benicio some way. Yeah, something like that. Interesting. Okay. Or, yes, and, and has a moment where she looks at him and the audience realizes she's trying to, she's trying to make amends for what her father did. All right. Did you, 
Google something coming out of this movie? I uh, I just Googled the director because I didn't know him. And I looked up the stuff that he's done, and I still don't... I mean, I don't really know any of the stuff he's done. There's a show on Netflix called Gomorrah. He did based, Gomorrah? He, it's not the movie. Yeah. It's a TV show that sort of serializes the story of the movie about a gang in, um, I think, Naples. And I watched... the. It's, it's in Italian. I watched the first season and part of the second season on Netflix, and I actually think it's really good. I like it a lot, the style, and, and he directed some of those episodes. Okay. I must have just looked at his filmography. But I, well, I, yeah, I don't know. I didn't know there was a show. I've only heard of the movie. Yeah. The show is, I thought it was pretty good. Did you Google anything? Uh, I didn't coming out of this one. Did you stay no. for the credits where Josh Brolin and Benicio Del Toro lip sync to, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, La Cucaracha? I, uh, I nope, I did not missed missed that. It was dedicated to Johan Johansson, uh, who scored did, did, the first one, did the music for the first one, and uh, committed suicide this last year, a couple months ago. Uh, I love his music so much. He did Arrival also, and you can hear his, you can hear him talk about his score for. Um, arrival on the Sound Exploder Song Exploder uh, podcast. If you listen to that, I've not heard of that podcast, but I, I do remember Arrival had great music and Sicario, also the first one. Yeah, Song Exploder is a great podcast. It uh, they they do all the films. I think every year they do all the films that were nominated for Academy Award scores, where they talk for twelve minutes to the c- composer about how he came up with the sound and the concepts. And then it also does pop songs, and they'll just talk to the writers for about 12 minutes, and then they play the song. So it's a short podcast, but it's my favorite podcast, probably, I'd say. I mean, after favorite? this one. Yeah. After this one. <laughs> Ob- obviously. Obviously. All right. Are there any other likes or dislikes you want to make sure we're talking about before we wrap up? Uh, no. Well, I agree. The the only other thing is, you know, in the trailer, they have Benicio's character shooting the guy on the street, and he does the thing with his finger back and forth in the in the in the trigger. Have you ever seen that in a movie before? Never. Pretty sick, right? It was a pretty cool way to murder somebody. (laughs) I'm yeah. I'm just fascinated by it. Like, I want to know how he did the research to figure out that that is how a real assassin would do it. I don't know. Maybe it's like the fastest way to fire the most bullets in close range when you're not worried about accuracy. Yeah. He's ruthless. He's ruthless when it, in the in the credits there was a mention that he had a, a firearms consultant. So I, I wondered if that guy was like a old school legit cartel gangbanger who like <laughs> he, he just got to sit down with for a couple of hours and get ideas for how they would do things. Yeah, cool. Uh, then let's give our rankings for Sicario, Day of the Soldado. For me, this is going to be a five. I think everyone wow. should see it. I, I thought it was so good. thought the action set pieces were really great. Um, yeah, I'm very pro Sicario. What would Sicario 1 be? A 17. <laughs> right? Because it's got to be higher than this one, right? <laughs> I don't know. I think they could just be 
fives. They're, bo- they're both fives because one's 17, but we don't go to 17 so that it looks like a five. Right. It got normalized. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> it's truncated. Okay. Well, uh, I'm going to give it, man, I'm torn because I love the characters. Uh, but I'm going to give it a, for me, it's between a three and a four. I think I'm going to give it a, Will you cut out the silence? I can't decide. I'll, I'll cut a little out, but I'm leaving some of this in. This is crazy. <laughs> I'm going to go with uh, three. Oh, my goodness. It just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> no, I, it felt wrong. I'm going to go with a four. <laughs> okay, good. Do you have All another right. recommendation for something you've been watching, reading, or listening to? Um, well, I went and saw Carrie Mulligan in a play this last week in New York City called Girls and Boys that was amazing. It was just her on stage alone for an hour and 45 minutes, and she would do monologues as a character, telling the history of her relationship with this guy, and then it would cut away to her interacting in her living room with two children who weren't really there. She would just pat the air or respond to them and say, no, I told you, you can't have any more juice. Um, so the scenes alternated back and forth and you learn over the course of the play that her marriage went south with her husband who got really jealous that her business was doing well and stopped talking to her basically. And then she got a divorce and then I'm not going to spoil it in case anyone goes, but it was devastating and so good. Nice. Cool. Uh, For me, I'm going to recommend a show that's also on Netflix, Great British Bake Off. And it's a baking competition (laughs) with British people. No. The the judges are so nice, and everyone's so nice in the competition. They're so supportive, and they hug each other at the end of every episode when someone gets eliminated. Uh, And it's just such a pleasant show to watch. (laughs) <laughs> whatever <laughs> like adorable British accents amateur bakers trying to make things that are pretty difficult <laughs> everyone loves that everyone loves that uh, reality show it's pretty good there's a lot of improv scenes that end up getting made based on it oh I, I could believe that for sure I still have never watched an episode oh my gosh you're missing out it's pretty solid. Apparently. Well, thanks for joining us this week for another episode of Two Brothers Review, the podcast. I'm Reed Turley. And I'm Ty Turley. And this is the Great British Bake Off of Podcasts. Bye. Bye. Bye.